This morning, uh, I wanted to just remind us what we've heard in the last couple weeks. So, two weeks ago, uh, Jeremy, who we just hired this past week, Jimmy announced that this last Sunday, so we're really excited about that. Uh, two weeks ago, he talked, he broke down the parable of the sower, Jesus' parable of the sower, and he kind of showed us where to find ourselves in that story and what work we need to do to grow in our relationship with Jesus, what distractions and sins need to be uprooted from our lives. And if you didn't watch it, uh, I encourage you to go back and watch it. That's a really good like introduction to Jeremy. If you, if you haven't had it yet, he's here this morning. You can say hi to him. But I encourage you to go watch it. It's really good stuff. Um, so make sure you do that. Um, and then last week, Jimmy urged us to live a life led by the Spirit to meet him in quiet and in prayer, and to make our decisions out of a relationship with him. Also, really good stuff. Go back and watch him. Now, if you're online and you're still here and you haven't gone back to watch those other two sermons, um, the reason I bring those up is because I feel like what I'm talking about today kind of springboards off of those, and and I thought it was kind of cool. What I'm talking about today uh, is about making room for Jesus and the Spirit in spirit and God in our lives. Because I know that I'm going to preach every once in a while, and I know I was going to preach today, I usually keep like a notebook of like ideas or an open document on my computer of just things that I could preach about. So when it comes to the time to do it, um, I have some ideas to start with. Um, And so a couple months ago, I was listening to some things and reading some things. So I wrote some stuff down um, and and I titled this document, June Sermon. And one of the the main things that I had on there that, that felt like something I needed to talk about was God reigns in the emptiness. And when I came back to this at the beginning of uh, this week, when I came back, um, it it just seemed really cool how it connected with those other sermons. It felt kind of like a God thing. So I'm kind of excited to jump into it this morning. Uh, So let's jump into those scriptures. We're reading in the letter, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. And Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now there's a lot going on in those verses, and I know I'm only going to skim the top of it. I encourage you to to read over that whole chapter and all of Ephesians, good stuff. You know, it's in the Bible, so it has to be good, right? Um, So I encourage you to go through that. But in these verses, I really love these verses. And what I want us to take away is two ideas this morning. And the first one is that Jesus is a mystery. Jesus is a mystery. And the second one is that God will fill the room you make for him. So let's start with that first one, Jesus is a mystery. 
Um, Paul is talking about this mystery in the first three chapters of Ephesians, and, and right before the verses we just read, he's talking about this, this mystery that he just can't get his head around, but it changed his life. Um, and, and I'm going to talk about it in three kind of ways. Um, I think that it's a mystery that impacts us in a physical way, in a mental way, in a spiritual way. So I'm going I'm to break it down in that way. So first, let's start with the physical way that we interact with this mystery, the way that Paul interacted with it. So in verse 14, Paul says, For this reason I kneel before the Father. And you're probably wondering, what reason? Like, why is he kneeling? Like, we don't know that. We didn't read those verses before that. So I'll let you know. Uh, The reason is there's a mystery that Paul admits he doesn't understand. It's the mystery he's been talking about for those first three chapters. And that mystery is that contrary to what Israel believed for the first 39 books of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament, God actually loves and cares for other nations. Uh, God actually loves other people besides Israel. He's offering salvation through Jesus to anyone. And for many Jews who heard this message that was a deal breaker for them. And it wasn't because they were like these villains that didn't want to help anyone. I mean, for them, they, the story that they'd gotten so far, I mean, if you're reading through the Old Testament, they knew they were God's chosen people, that God loved them special. And, and so to hear the story, it just felt like it was going against that, you know, especially in a time when they felt like everyone in the world was against them. To hear, wait, God's actually wanting to help other people too? I mean, it just didn't seem right. Uh, And it's really easy for us to look back on that and villainize them and say, ah, they got it wrong. But I know that all of us would have been in that same position too. Um, It would have been hard for us to grasp. But Paul admits he doesn't fully understand this mystery. But the idea that God loves everyone is a mystery that changed his entire life. It made him realize that God's love is bigger than he thought it was, that God was bigger than he thought he was. That the physical lived mystery of Jesus is that God's love is not reserved for any one group. It's not reserved for Israel. It's not reserved for the Pharisees. Uh, It's not reserved even for Christians or Americans, for Democrats, Republicans. It's not reserved for any one group. It's for our neighbor's and our enemies, that God's love is for everyone. The mental mystery of Jesus is that none of us are ever going to truly grasp that. And that's what Paul's talking about in verse 17 through 19, that that we will never grasp this idea that God loves everyone. We will never truly be able to know that fully. Paul says, And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. God's love is immeasurable, it's powerful, and it's unknowable. It surpasses knowledge. And it's easy for us to just kind of blow by that, right? To say, okay, yeah, like, I don't, I, it's unknowable. God's love's bigger than that. And, and we don't marvel at the mystery of it. It's easy for us to say, okay, I get that. But we, you know, as humans, we like our boundaries and our measurements 
and our definitions. In our minds, we think we have some idea, you know. I have some idea of how much God loves people. Um, but God's love is beyond all that. But Paul's saying the better we try to understand it, the more and more we work at understanding God's love, the more God lives in us. He says, I pray that you have the power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ and to know the love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So understanding God's love isn't something any of us will ever fully accomplish. And that's a mystery. But it's something we have to practice every day. It's something we have to practice to try and know every single day. That God's love is for everyone. So I'm asking you today, church, who are you reserving love from? Who do you find it hard to love? It may be a family member or a coworker. It could be someone with a different religion or political view. It could be a group of people. Think of the last person you unfollowed on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, maybe you wouldn't think that you hate them, but man, that group of people just gets under your nerves. It's hard for you to love them. It could be someone in the church, uh, people that you make snap judgments about, someone that annoys you or maybe even scares you a little bit, people that you may not hate, you just don't like being around. Paul says, I pray that you may have the power to grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And that's what we want, right? We want to be filled with the fullness of God. And this final mystery, the final part, is is the spiritual mystery that Jesus lives in us. The spirit of love enters into us that we be filled by God. And it's the spirit that gives us the power to grasp and to know his love. A question that used to get me so tripped up growing up uh, was... uh, how do I know if I have the Spirit? Because it feels like it should be something I know, right? Like if God's Spirit is in me, this should be an obvious thing. And it was hard for me because it didn't seem obvious. Like I felt like I should have a clearer sign to know if God's Spirit was in me. And the answer that helped me the most was uh, the combination of one of Jesus' stories and, uh, and one of Paul's letters in, to the Galatians. In Matthew seven fifteen through 20, Jesus says, Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And then in Galatians uh, chapter 5, verses 22 through 23, Paul says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So Jesus says, By a tree you will know, it's, you will know a tree by its fruit. And Paul says, this is the fruit of a spirit tree. 
These things are what happen when someone has the Spirit. These are the things that they produce. So if you want to know you have the Spirit or not, look at your life. I mean, are you producing love and joy and peace and patience in your life? Are you a patient person? Are you gentle? Uh, do you have self-control? Do you, the more time that you spend with Jesus, the more the Spirit grows in you and the more you'll produce these things in your life. The decisions you make will come out of a place of, of gentleness, of kindness, and goodness. It'll come out of a place of self-control and love and peace. Like Jimmy said last week, most of our interactions with the Spirit aren't going to come in the form of an audible voice as much as we wish that were true. Uh, It's going to come in the form of a nudge. Uh, It's going to come in the form of, you know, I've spent time with Jesus, and I know this is how he would love. And the more and more you know Jesus, the more the Spirit's going to nudge you in ways that you're going to love people and bring joy to people and be patient. One sure sign of the Spirit growing in you is our ability to love, especially those who are hard for us to love. Because if we struggle to love, then we're not grasping how wide and high and long and deep Christ's love is. We're saying, no, I know where the limit is. I know how long it is. I know how high it is. God's love doesn't go this far because I don't love that person. We're limiting God's immeasurable love in us. We're not letting the Spirit live fully in us because we're, we're putting a boundary in our hearts between us and that person. We're denying the mystery that God's love is always going to be bigger. And following Jesus is going to lead you to some mysterious places, places you'd never think you'd ever be, uh, loving people that you never thought you would ever love. And I know some of you in this room can probably think of someone in your life that you never would have crossed paths with, your stories never would have crossed, you wouldn't be in a relationship with, you wouldn't be friends with, if it wasn't for Jesus' change in your life. If Jesus wasn't working in your life, you would never have loved that person, or maybe they never would have loved you. And whether you can think of someone like that or not, I want all of us to know that God's love is still bigger than you think it is. There's someone that you are not loving fully. Those people that you don't like to associate with, God loves them, and he's calling you to love them too. Those people who offend you, that get under your nerves, you know, like that you just don't like it, God loves them, and he's calling you to love them too. Those people who hate you, that that may cause harm to you, say awful things to you, that make your life hard. God loves them, and he's calling you to love them too. Jesus is a mystery that you will either walk away from because love is really hard, or you will marvel at for the rest of your life because, because his love is just way bigger than you'll ever know. If you want to be filled with the fullness of God, you need to make room for him. You need to be willing to make room for him. And so that goes on to the second thing I wanted to talk about, which was God will fill the room you make for him. 
Let's talk about the Ark of the Covenant. Seems kind of fitting, right? Um, You may know it from Indiana Jones. It's in the Bible, too. Um, (laughs) We have a very good idea of what the Ark of the Covenant looks like because it's in Indiana Jones, but also because uh, they describe how to build it in the Bible um, in very specific detail, actually. And on top of the Ark, uh, there were these two uh, statues. Um, They were kind of like, they were called cherubim, and they're like these animal, angel-type creatures, and they have wings, and they're pointed in towards the center. And in the center of their wings is this empty space. And that empty space was called the mercy seat. And the idea is that that's where God's presence would rest right there on, in that empty space. So I don't know about you, but my only real interaction with ancient Near Eastern religious arcs is with the Ark of the Covenant. You guys may have more experience there. I don't know. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant is really the only one I know. But to people at that time, that empty space would have been really weird. Like, they would have seen that, and it would have been shocking. They would have said, why is there nothing there? Because the things that were, other things that were like the Ark of the Covenant and different, um, like, different religions, people that worshipped other gods, they'd have things that sort of looked like that in that part of the world. And in that empty space, there was usually an idol. That's where the idol would sit, you know, in that mercy seat. In that empty space, there was an idol. And so it would raise a lot of questions to people that weren't following Yahweh. They would, have, uh, they would have been like, why is there no idol there? And of course, we know the answer, why there's no idol there. We're like, well, duh, it's number, rule number two in the Ten Commandments, no idols. We know that. Um, no, why, they would never make an idol of Yahweh. I mean, they do with the whole golden calf thing, but they'd never make an idol of Yahweh ever again, Right? Okay, a few more times, but they don't, they're not going to put it on the, the Ark of the Covenant, you know? They're not going to put it there. And the reason is because they know they cannot make an accurate image of God out of carved wood and shaped metal. He's bigger than that. And that's why on the Ark of the Covenant, there's just empty space. That God reigns in that empty space. Because the artists knew, who made the Ark, They knew that God's vastness was best represented in empty space. And another reason why God didn't want idols was because he already had physical representatives here on earth. Um, Whenever he created humans, he created them in his image. In the image of God, he created them. And again, people at that time, when they'd hear image of God, their ears would have perked up and they would have said, wait, that's what we call idols. Um, image of God. That's what we call our, our like royal kings um, that, uh, that are, we, we think are gods, you know? That's what we think of when we think of image of God. But Yahweh did something strange. Uh, he said that humans are made in his image. Uh, he didn't want to be manifested in carved pieces of wood or metal, but in his image bearers. He wanted to come fully in us in you, and in me. And as we talked about before, God's Spirit can live in us. We can all be filled with the fullness of God. And that doesn't mean we are God. That means we represent the fruit of His Spirit here on earth. The question is, what empty space are we leaving for Him? Because God will fill the room you make for him, just like that empty space on the ark. 
What empty space are we leaving in us? And I think there's two empty spaces we need to prepare for God to fill. The first is you've got to leave room for God to work in your schedule. I feel like the last few months have been on fast forward. I don't know if I'm the only one like that, but man, things just got so busy so quickly. And it's like not all bad, like it's so good. There's been so many things that have started up again. I mean, we've been doing youth group again, and it's been so much fun. And and being able to celebrate in ways that we didn't get to celebrate last year, like it's been a lot of good. But I bet a lot of you also feel like you're running on empty already, and your schedules are full. And I'm begging you this morning, leave room for God to work in your schedule. And I'm not talking about church. Obviously, you're here already or you're watching online. I'm talking about that extra part, leaving room for God outside, like making time to read his word, to sit in silence with him, prayer. Um, I'm talking about sitting down with other believers and community and, and just enjoying each other's presence and just in growing together in relationship with Jesus. Maybe set aside a time of day or a whole day to just be his day. Um, maybe just once a month, once a week, uh, every three months, find time just to give to God. And then next, I want to urge you to leave room for God to work on your heart. I think this one can be a little trickier. God is so much bigger and beautiful and more powerful than we can comprehend. We talked earlier about just some of the mysteries that we have to live with following Jesus. In the book of Job, God closes out by telling Job, hey, there's some stuff you're never going to understand, and you just got to live with that. You will never understand some things. And we can all nod our heads along with that, but man, there's some stuff that we think we understand, right? Like, we'll argue about it to the end, (laughs) right? And a prime example of that is the Pharisees. Uh, You look at the life of the Pharisees. These guys, they knew God's law inside and out. I mean, they knew it. And and they would argue about it, and and they were probably right about a lot of it. And they they sacrificed a lot in their lives to live pretty radical lives for God. I mean, we villainize them a lot, but these guys gave up a lot because they thought what they were doing was following God in the right way. They devoted their lives to him. But they missed the point. You see, Jesus came along and he offered this new way of life. And when he did that, there was no room in their hearts or their minds for God to work. And so my question for you guys this morning is, what beliefs and practices are you holding most sacred in your life? What ideals and ideologies are you giving prime real estate to in your mind? And I want you to ask yourself seriously, why? It may not be bad. Maybe there's a good reason for those things. But I want you to ask yourself seriously, why? And then more importantly, what does that have to do with following Jesus? And if they don't have anything to do with following Jesus, maybe make sure you're leaving a little bit of room there for God to work. This idea of emptying ourselves to be filled with God's law, uh, it isn't new. It's something, uh, it, it's something that's sometimes hard to know where to start, though. You know, I want to empty myself. I just don't know where to start. And I think a practice that connects with this really well is fasting. 
Um, the leadership here at South Union actually fasts way more uh, than any church I've ever been a part of, and I think it's awesome. Um, uh, but I'm guessing most of us don't regularly fast. I'm guessing it's not something we do all the time. Um, and it's kind of a weird practice in our culture. Uh, fasting sometimes can be adapted to mean like I'm going to abstain from anything, like I'm going to fast from TV or social media. Um, but it really specifically means fasting from food, like abstaining from food. And, uh, and it's weird in our culture, not because we like our food, which we do, but uh, it's weird because we don't usually, when we usually think of connecting with God, we think about doing it like through our minds. We think read the Bible, uh, listen to a sermon, uh, you know, pray, uh, spend time alone. You know, when you're worshiping, listen to the words. We're very cognitive in how we interact with God. Uh, but the idea of fasting suggests that we can connect to God through our stomach, which is weird to us, um, that this feeling of emptiness here uh, will lead us to be filled by God. Uh, What's even crazier to me is that a lo- for a large majority of church history, this was one of the most common spiritual practices. Uh, in fact, a little over 100 years ago, it wasn't uncommon. In fact, it was probably expected that most Christians fasted twice a week. I'm not saying we get back to that. I mean, maybe. Uh, but, but I'm saying this is a tried and true method of creating an emptiness for God to fill in your life. This is a tried and true method of spiritual practice. And, and Jesus even talks about it. It's one of the practices he talks about the most. He says prayer and fasting over and over again through the Gospels. Making room for God in this way may open your eyes to other places in your life you can make room for God. So choose a day and eat dinner, and then don't eat until the next day for dinner. Might be hard. Maybe just skip a lunch if that's easier for you. Find something that works for you. Find a starting place and just try it out. Maybe it'll just be awful, but I want to just ask you, try it out once um, and and skip uh, some meals and and just focus on that emptiness and, and try to see, wait for God to point out another place for him to empty in your life. Because it's only when we're empty that we can be filled. Then we can be blessed to be a blessing. In Matthew 5, um, Jesus flips the world on its head when he says those who are blessed are those who are empty. Those who are rich or successful or beautiful are not the blessed ones. It's the empty ones. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Those are just the first four Beatitudes, uh, part of Jesus' declaration of what it's going to be like to live in his kingdom. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the message. He paraphrases it. He says, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God in his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then you can be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed 
when you've worked up a good appetite for God, he's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. Every week we take communion. We take a moment to take the bread and the cup and remember Jesus, this mystery that he loves me and you and everyone in this room and everyone outside of it. And we get to be a part of that. And I want to ask you this morning, are you hungry for him, church? Or are you full of anything else? Let's make room for him this morning.